Well, let me uh, say what Bill Rice, one of our elders here, has already said. Welcome to Wilshire. We are glad that you are here today. Visitors, members, everybody. Summer uh, thins out a little bit as different people are off on vacation and various things. And so we are happy to see every single face. Thank you for being here today. Uh, as has already been mentioned, right after this worship service, we'll have a time of fellowship, a little coffee, a little carbohydrates, and then uh, Bible class right after that. So I hope that if you're visiting, you'll be able to stay with us and uh, spend some time with our fellowship and with our Bible classes. Jeremy and I have been talking about a book that doesn't always get a lot of love from the pulpit, Numbers. Uh, Not a lot of series of sermons preached from the book of Numbers, but for the last few weeks, uh, that's what Jeremy and I have been trying to do, is to look at the book of Numbers and to do do a tour through that book. And today, we're going to talk about the prophet of God named Balaam. And we're going to talk about his story. Now, the story of Balaam has an amazing element in it because it has a talking donkey. And I had to make a choice as a preacher. Am I just going to focus on the talking donkey? And I realized as I was reading the story, there's so much more going on in the Balaam story that if I start on the talking donkey, I may never get off the talking donkey. I I was researching and uh, I was looking into neon lights. Neon lights were invented at the end of the 19th century in France, and they started being used sort of commercially in the 1920s. And so, you know, businesses, grocery stores and shoe stores and and whatever else started putting up these bright, flashing, multicolored neon lights, you know, with arrows and outlines of their products and the letters all shining. That starts in the 1920s. Now, electric lights themselves were fairly new. So imagine that you go to the expense. You're trying to sell groceries or whatever. You go to the expense of putting up a neon light so that you can get more customers to come into your store and pay for that neon light. And and what mainly happens, which I'm sure happened over and over again in the 1920s and 30s, is that people come to your store, they flock to your store, and they stand outside and look at your light. For hours, they bring their children, look at them, look, and everyone is attracted to your store, but unfortunately, most of them never come into your store because they're so fascinated by that event. You know, miracle stories in the Bible are kind of like the neon lights. Of scripture. They are the signposts to tell us something important has happened. And I find one of my problems, and I know other people kind of have said they run into this, sometimes I get so fascinated by the sign, you know, this is amazing that this happened and that, and that God did this miracle, uh, that I forget that it's a sign. Signs are meant to point to a larger reality. And so here we have this. Balaam's story, which goes on for three chapters, really, and we get focused on the donkey story, which is a great story, don't get me wrong, I love it, 
and, and we don't notice the other things that are happening in the story maybe that the donkey story was supposed to attract us to and help us understand. So today, I'm going to mention the donkey one more time later, but I'm mainly going to focus on what the story is doing. What is going on? How does God use Balaam as his prophet, not a very good prophet, not a very moral prophet, but his prophet, how does he use him in this story? Okay, so the setup is this, just to set the scene just a little bit for you. The Israelites, as we talked about for the last two Sundays, they had their opportunity to go into the land of promise, and they blew that opportunity. And because of that now, that whole generation that rebelled against God and said, we're too, we're too afraid to go in there, they're going to wander around in the wilderness until they're all dead. Uh, and then their children will be the ones who finally do God's will and go into the land of promise. So now they're having to wander around the wilderness. And they're going all, they're nibbling all around the edges of the land of Canaan. But they're not going into the land of Canaan. As they do that, they run into people and they often have to fight. And in the preceding chapters to the Balaam story, they've fought against Og and they've defeated him. They fought against Sihon and defeated him and his army. Uh, They have been very successful and they are right next to the territory of Moab. And so the Moabite king a guy by the name of Balak, is in a political crisis. This is not a theoretical threat. This is an obvious, real, geopolitical threat, as far as he can tell. This new group of very strong fighters has come up out of Egypt, and they're right on my doorstep, and am I even going to have a kingdom in a month? I need to do something. And that's what sets the stage for the Balaam story, is Balak, the king of Moab, trying desperately to come up with some way to make his kingdom safe from this new, what he perceives as a threat. Balak, king of Moab, uh, comes up with a strategy. He wants to hire someone who can talk to God and see if he can get that person to get God to curse the Israelites. Balak says, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land. They've settled right next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whatever you bless is blessed, and whatever you curse is cursed. Balak says, I will pay you. And he ends up, he sends nobles and Balaam Balaam says, I've got to do what God says. I can't speak a word unless God says it. And Balak doesn't understand the cause. He doesn't really understand what a prophet of God is. He's got the concept of a prophet of God who does what God says and a wizard kind of confused in his mind. He thinks that Balaam must be some kind of a magician or a wizard that you can get Whatever this power that you call God is, you must be able to get it to do what you want. So if I can get the words curse to come out of your mouth, then somehow you have the power to make God do that. And Balaam keeps trying to explain to him, oh, it doesn't work like that. I am only, I am, when I talk for God, I only 
uh, can do what he tells me to do. But Balak thinks, I can use my money and my political power and I can get this prophet, this spokesman for God, I can get him to say the words I want him to say and that will produce the outcome I want him to produce. Balaam tries to explain it. They came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Don't let anything keep you from coming to me because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered and said, even if Balak gave me all the gold and silver in his palace, I couldn't do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. I love that story, just that little bit. It is as timely as anything that's in your Bible, that event right there. And the reason it is timely is that as our country goes into its next political cycle, we're already having the primary debates and so forth, and and we are going to have, we know that every time we have an election, it's very divisive for our country. Right now, I guarantee you, Both of the major political parties, as well as tons of other political operatives around our country, are trying to figure out how how they can spend some money, spend some influence to get your religion to be turned in favor of their political ideas. Right now, people are researching how they could get your political, your religious leaders to say the words that will move you this way or that way at the ballot box. Right now, they're trying to figure out who they can bribe, who they can coerce, who they can intimidate, who they can scare, so that they will be able to use your faith as a weapon of politics. That's going on right now. People are trying to figure that out. That has always happened, and I suppose that will always happen. There are, I've actually heard people say that, uh, say something like this. There have always been people who view that whatever is going on right then, politically or militarily, has to be the most important thing in the world. And they will often say this, if God doesn't help us to solve this problem, then what good is he? You may have actually heard people say things that are equivalent to that phrase. If God doesn't help us solve, you know, the problem of this political party or the problem of this uh, military enemy or, or this crisis or that issue, if God doesn't, what good is he? And if my faith and if our collective faith as a church doesn't help us move, you know, win the election or doesn't help us defeat the enemy or doesn't... just Put in wherever you want in that second position in that sentence. If God's, if faith in God's not helping us do that, then what good is it? I want to say something to you, church. And I know a lot of what I say goes in one ear and out the other. That's okay. I'm a preacher. I'm used to that. I really want you to hear what I'm about to say to you. When you make your faith useful, you make it useless. I'm not kidding. 
Jesus said, for instance, in the Sermon on the Mount, those Pharisees, they love for people to see them praying. They're making their faith useful because they're getting the praise of people. And when you do that in any way, you are making your faith useless. Your faith is not for political purposes. It's not for religious purposes. It's not to make you personally wealthy or to make your nation wealthy. It sometimes has all of those effects, but that's not what it's for. And if you don't get that your faith is so you can be close to God, then you are going to make your faith useless. That is what it is. Here is Balaam, who for whatever reason, he's not a very good guy. He ends up creating a disaster later for the Israelites. He's not a good guy. But for whatever reason, God has blessed him with this ability to actually talk to God and talk for God, this prophecy gift. And all Balak, the king, can think is, yeah, how could I weaponize that? This guy has a relationship with God. I wonder what I could use that for. And even Balaam himself is caught up in that because he's thinking, yeah, I've got this ability for God to talk to me and, you know, and I can talk for God, but it sure ain't paying the bills. You make your faith useful in human terms, in fleshly terms. You're almost certainly robbing it of its purpose of what it's really for, which is to bring you next to God Almighty. That is what we are here for. And anybody who whispers in your ear, well, yeah, what you're really here for is to make sure the party gets elected. Or what you're really here for is to make sure the country is militarily the strongest. Or what you're really here for is to make sure that economy does the best. Fill in the blanks. It changes as these things fade away in history. But that has always been the temptation. That's always been Satan's lie. Your faith is about getting close to God Almighty. Now, in this story... That's what ends up happening against Balaam's own wishes. He ends up actually saying the truth about Israel. And we have a series of actually four blessings. I put three on your study sheet. But four times when Balak wants to pay for a curse and God turns it into a blessing for Israel. It's a great series Bunch of, you know, bunch of drama associated with it. It's, it's kind of comedic. There are comedic elements. The donkey is supposed to be comedic. I'll just say this about the donkey story. Because like I said, that one captivates all the attention sometimes. Sucks up all the oxygen in the sermon. Uh, basically, God says to Balaam, okay, if you're really set on this, go ahead and go with him. But you, you are my prophet. You do not say what I, unless... You say what I've told you to say. And apparently Balaam's heart is all about the money. He just wants to get paid for his prophecy somehow. 
And God's mad at him. And God sends his angel that stands. I looked this up because I don't read Hebrew, but I can look stuff up. His angel to stand as a Satan against Balaam. God's angel, the angel of Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, comes down and it stands in the pathway while Balaam is riding his donkeys, got his servants. And there is the angel standing in as Balaam's Satan, Balaam's adversary, with a sword drawn, ready to kill Balaam. That's what the story is. And the donkey can see it and nobody else can see it. And the donkey just veers off the path, you know, off into the cornfield. And Balaam is beating the donkey and trying to get him to go back on the path. And the, and the angel moves. He moves to a narrow place. And, and, and then the donkey sees that angel again and smashes his master's leg against the wall. You're supposed to be chuckling at least at this point. Give me something, church. Anyway, uh, and then the angel moves and, and Balaam beats him again. And then the angel moves again. And here's a place, it's two walls and there's no turning around. There's nothing that the donkey can do. So the donkey just kind of sits down with Balaam on top of him. It's pretty undignified. And Balaam is enraged. And he gets up and he's just wailing on this donkey. Bad donkey, bad donkey. And the donkey says, why are you hitting me? Now, that would stop you, you'd think. But Balaam, of course, uh, he's so mad. He says, because you're a bad donkey, and you're, why did you treat me like And he says, look, have I been a pretty good donkey up to now? Yeah, okay. I'm telling you why. <laughs> I've been a good donkey up to now. If I'm doing this, I have a good reason. At that point, Balaam kind of can finally see the angel of the Lord standing in front of him. And then God's word comes to Balaam and says, look, I know what's in your heart, essentially. I know what's going on with you. You just want to get paid. But when you get there, you say what I say to say. That's all. So it was a way for Balaam to get the message loud and clear. This this prophecy thing works from God down to the prophet. It doesn't work the prophet making up his mind and telling God what to do. So when you get there, you are mine. Your words need to be my words. Okay, so that's what ends up happening. Balaam says, that's, what's gonna, that's the way this is going to work. The next morning, Balak took Balaam up to the Bamoth Baal, and from there he could see the outskirts of the Israelite camp. And they do some... Uh, sacrificing, and they do of various things. And then Balaam spoke his message. Balak brought me from Aram, the king of Moab, from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? For the rocky, from the rocky peaks I see them, From the heights I view them. I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number even a fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous. And may my final end be like theirs. Balaam's first curse is turned into blessing. A nation that is set apart for God. A nation that is set apart 
for God. Here is a people, and they're just not like any other people that's ever existed. They don't count themselves as like the other nations. They are different. That is God's vision of his people. That, if I understand the Bible correctly, that is God's vision of you. That is what you, church, you are. A people that's not like any other group of people. You are a set-apart people. That principle that applied to Israel still applies to you. God's church, God's people. You are set-apart. You are not the Kiwanis Club. You are not a political party. You are not a social organization. You are God's called-out, set-apart people. That's your status. That's who you are. And, and, and our joy and our duty is to live as God's set-apart people. It, there's some comedy here because Balak says, well, why are you talking? You're blessing them, not cursing them. And then he says, okay, I only showed you the outskirts. Let's go to a different viewing position. Maybe you'll say better things, what I want you to say if I take you somewhere. And so they do that. Balak said to him, come with me to another place. You can see them. And you do not see them all, but only the outskirts of the camp before. From there, you will curse them for me. Then Balaam spoke his message. Arise, Balak, and listen to me. Hear, son of Zippor, God is not human that he should lie. He is not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he ever speak and not act? Does he ever promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. No misfortune is seen in Jacob. No misery is observed in Israel. The Lord their God is with them. The shout of the king is among them. God brought, me out of, God brought them out of Egypt. He gave them the strength of a wild ox. There is no divination against Jacob. No evil omens against Israel. It will now be said of Jacob and Israel, see what God has done. Balak is not getting his money's worth from Balaam. He's done everything. He's he's sacrificed a bunch of animals at this point. He's invested a lot into trying to get this prophet to turn into a wizard, to, to make God on a certain path, to force God to curse Israel. And Balaam won't do it. Balaam learned the lesson of the donkey. He will not do it. Balaam's second curse turned into a blessing. God will keep his promises to his people. Human beings may try all kinds of ways to throw us off. I I loved what Jeremy, Jeremy and I don't coordinate with our messages, but I loved what he said at the communion talk. That is so beautiful. People will cast doubt on your faith. People will challenge you for believing. Uh, They will say, well, how can you continue to trust God? Look at, God will keep his promises he's not like you and me changing his mind acting one way on tuesday and another way on thursday god will keep his promises and he has bound himself in the covenant now of jesus christ and when you were baptized as a as a 
person of faith, you became part of that promise that God has made to raise you from the dead and to allow you to live in the age to come in heaven. God will keep his promises. Balak once again thinks, well, maybe it's the viewing spot. Balak said to Balaam, come, let me take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God to let you curse them uh, for me from there. And Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, overlooking the wasteland. And then Balaam spoke his message. The prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of one who sees, whose eye sees clearly, the prophecy of one who hears the word of God, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob, your dwelling places, Israel. Like valleys they spread out, like gardens beside a river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Water will flow from their buckets. Their seed will have abundant water. Their king will be greater than Agag. Their kingdom will be exalted. God brought their... Uh, brought them out of Egypt and they have the strength of a wild ox. They devour hostile nations and break their bones to pieces and their arrows, they pierce them. Like a lion, they crouch and lie down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse them? May those who bless you be blessed and those who curse you be cursed. It's the worst of all of the things. From Balak's point of view, this last is the worst. Balaam's third curse turned into blessing. Those who help God's people find themselves blessed by God. Those who work against God's people find themselves opposed to God. Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you, they'll find themselves cursed. That's what what the blessing says. How many of you know what I'm talking about if I say righty-tighty, lefty-loosey? Okay. Everybody, see, or a good bunch of you uh, shook your heads at that. I forget that all the time. I am not Joe Handyman. I am the first to admit it. If I didn't, Yodi would help me admit it. Uh, and I have that I have all the time. I, I know I'm, it's supposed to be righty-tighty but, and lefty-loosey, but I, I get confused. Well, now from this orientation, which way is righty and which way is left? I can't. I get confused by that all the time. What happens if you're trying to loosen something that's already tight and instead you're tightening it? It doesn't work. There's a right way and a wrong way. And what I love about Balaam's, I mean, this is not the only time in the Bible this is taught, but what I like about Balaam's blessing, this third blessing of his, is he's basically saying, it's the same thing that God promised to Abraham, that I, with Israel, with my people, and of course now flowering into my people, the church, I have set up a way, a right way for the universe to work. I have set the universe on a path. It's going towards this final culmination where Jesus is king of the entire universe. And, and to work with that purpose is to work the right way. To work against that purpose is just to bang your head against a wall. To be working the wrong way. That is not how the universe works. Is to work against God's people. To work against God's purpose. 
and again and again and again. However smart you might think you are, if you set yourself against God's people, you set yourself against God's church, you set yourself against what God is trying to accomplish with his church, again and again and again, you will find yourself in a collision course with God. It will not make you happy. It will not make you healthy. It will not give you what you want. God wants to bless his people. And he is calling the entire world to be part of that blessing. The overall story of Balaam is not about a talking donkey. The overall story of Balaam is this. Wealth and political power said, I want Israel cursed. And God took every attempt at cursing and turned it into a blessing. God has not changed, church. The God who turned those curses into blessings all those centuries ago is in your life right now. And there are people that may want you cursed. And I don't mean just when you cut them off in traffic, that happens too. There may be people who really are your enemies who are working against you or people who are kind of enemies to the church and are working against what the church is trying to accomplish and what God's trying to do through the church. There are people that are trying to curse you. I'm just saying this. God has promised, he keeps his promises that even those curses in the long run, God will work those things for good to those that love him and are called according to his purposes. God is with you. Who can be against you? If you need to respond to the invitation of God, if you need to be part of what he is doing in the world and you've never put yourself formally in Jesus by baptism, then maybe today is the day to take that step. If you really believe in Jesus, if you're ready to turn aside from your sins, to repent of your sins because you believe in Jesus, if you're ready to say out loud in front of this group, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is my Lord. And if you're ready to be buried in the waters of baptism, then when you come up out of those waters, you will be a new person. You will be part of the people of God. You will receive the inheritance that God has promised. If you want that, why don't you come forward as we stand and as we sing.